Good morning. Great to be here with you. My name is Andy, if we've not had a chance to meet. And welcome to High Point Church. We are a part of a ministry called Every Nation, as you saw in the video behind me, which we are very excited about in over 70 different countries. We've got mission trips happening this summer that some of you are going and being a part of. Australia, Cuba. Uh-huh. Okay, exactly. Thank you. I'm not even sure what just happened right there, but hey, it sounded fantastic. Um, guys, we're a church that loves to see the gospel reproduced. And I don't ever get tired of saying it. What we're doing here is never supposed to say right here. It never is. You're never the end user. And when I watch videos like this, I've seen this bumper only about a billion times. And every time I see it, it excites me. Because this is why we do what we do. There are other people in other countries literally doing exactly the same thing in rooms just like this, setting up chairs, making an environment for people to be able to worship God. Some were not even able to put on video because it would threaten their very life. And right now, if you, if you have your phone and you, if, if you like Every Nation on Facebook or Instagram, I want to encourage you, you'll see some really neat pictures of a conference that's happening in Europe right now in London. It's our Every Nation uh, Pastors Conference there in London, and they're meeting for worship, all the regional pastors with Every Nation in this cathedral. But they're having relevant, current-sounding worship in an ancient building. Just amazing. My wife and I were sitting on the couch, and we were just, you know, looking at the pictures, thinking, I want to be there so bad. I know it's selfish, but it just looked super cool. (laughs) And I wanted to be there. But aside from how awesome the environment was, there's something special about worshiping God with people who don't look like you, who don't talk like you, who don't sound like you, who have, who have different interests and different passions, yet we're united by one thing, and that's Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. That's what we're all about. And so here locally at High Point, you'll notice that we are, we're very interested in engaging young people pushing them out to uh, be part of mission trips. That goes for you as well, moms and dads. If you think that by young people that I just mean college students, I don't. I mean young in heart. Those who are willing to let God use them, who are willing to step out. It's a good day to be alive today. God wants to do something great through you, through our church, and it's exciting to be part of it. It's great to be here with you today. We're in a series called Lions, Tigers, and Bears. And here's my question for you. Get my. If you have an iPad, do you ever have it where the orientation will not rotate? That's what's happening right now. And it still won't. So great. Good times. We'll just go this way. Technology. What are you afraid of? We talked about this last week, and I'm asking you again, what is it, if you're going to lose sleep, and you're going to be laying awake in bed, what is it that's producing anxiety in your life? What are you afraid of? Some of you are saying, like, I, the lights are off, and I'm out. 
There's nothing, right? But if we're really honest, there's not a human being that has not been, who's left unscathed by fear. There's no one. So to say that there's absolutely nothing that knocks on the door of our heart, in my opinion, as a pastor, I don't find that being very honest with ourselves. What is it that we're afraid of? Because all of us have something that causes a bit of unease if we're really honest. And you have to be continually bringing it to the Lord. I had a, a gentleman come to my home this week and was, his crew, his construction crew was cleaning my gutters. And, you know, if, you, if you're in the backyard of my house and you're looking up to, you know, the top of the roof, it's tall. I mean, it's pretty high. I do not have a ladder that will get me anywhere even close to my roof, okay? Now, I have a better one than this, so don't judge me. But in all honesty, though, you know, this it made sense. I'm going to pay this guy. And so all of a sudden, he's shouting to me from the top of the roof, can I get a bottle of water? So I'm, you know, I'm throwing a bottle of water up, finally catches one, and then I, I go down below the deck, and, you know, I'm looking all the way up, and he's literally having a shouting conversation with me, and he's doing so on the edge of the roof, and I'm standing next to his other buddy, you know, and they, they, this disaster is just around the corner, okay, but he's totally comfortable, literally just standing, you know, sometimes he was sitting, and then this crazy thing happens, He's talking to me about some shingles, and all of a sudden, he bounces up, and he is hopping around my roof like this, right on the edge of it. And I look at the guy that's sitting next to me, and he says, he's, he's afraid of bees. And there was a bee that was chasing him on the roof. And I'm literally like, my God, it's only a matter of seconds, and the guy is coming off the edge. He ends up killing the bee, you know, blah, blah, blah. But my point is this. Joking aside, we all have things that we're afraid of. And those fears, I promise you, are more significant than bees and snakes and, you know, whatever reptile that bothers you or spiders, insects, roaches. God, you know, why? Lord, why did you do that to us? They don't serve any purpose. <laughs> So you got these, these things over here that we can laugh about, but then there are other things. And more often than not, we don't consider them laughing matters. Fear of being alone. Fear of disappointing others. You don't have to raise your hand, but the fear of disappointing other people, that's a very prevalent fear for a lot of folks. The number one fear, and it's probably on this side of the, the box, the number one fear that people are most willing to talk about? Anybody want to know? Anybody have a thought? Fear of public speaking. That's right. Which is why one by one, I'm going to have all of you come up here and speak. <laughs> I've been ministry now. Sometimes I don't like to admit it, but I mean, we're, we're coming up on 20 years, Okay. Pastored churches, planted churches, been in campus ministries, pastored campus ministries. And it's interesting, whether it's this city, whether it's Orlando, Florida, Nashville, Tennessee, Los Angeles, Boston. What is amazing is that when you get people in a room together talking about what really bothers them. 
generally falls into three or four of the same buckets. And while I'm about to use this ladder for an illustration, I promise you I'm not talking about the fear of heights. But there is this thing that, that people are bothered by that keeps them up at night, and that is what we call the fear of failure. You don't need to shake your, your, your hand here. I mean, raise your hand. That's right. If you're listening online and you're wondering what I'm doing, I'm, there's so many pieces of equipment on the stage right now, and I'm moving them around because I'm getting ready to be on top of a ladder in case you're listening online. People are afraid of failing. They're afraid of stepping out and that thing not working, not succeeding, not going the distance. What are some other things that people are afraid of? The other two uh, buckets. Fear of failure, the fear of tomorrow. We're afraid of what tomorrow holds. Fear of the unknown. We bite our fingernails and we stress over something that we have no capacity to control. Fear of failing, fear of the unknown. And then the last one which we're going to speak about today is the fear of insignificance. And everywhere I go, I hear and talk and pray and listen or people cry or they're ministered to or, or they're still anxious about one of those three things. And there are other things, hear me, there are other things that roll into that. But by and large, those three buckets, most of our fears find their way connecting the dots to one of those places. The fear of insignificance, the fear of not mattering. At the end of the day, many of us, we fear that our life won't contribute much. We fear that when we, when, we, when we get the sum total, that our life hasn't made much of a difference. We're fearful that our parenting is insignificant in the lives of our children. We're fearful that at the end of the day, we haven't done enough, haven't given enough. That God hasn't used us in, in some extraordinary way and in a life and a culture that is obsessed with celebrity. It's easy that if your life doesn't feel famous, if you don't have the best Instagram feed and the best use of filters or not filters, or your pictures don't look so cool, or this or that, all of a sudden your life just doesn't feel significant. Do I really have it together? Think about it this way. Here's one of the things that we do, and this, this will help illustrate it. How many of you are sports fans? Big sports fans. I'm, I'm a, I love sports. Baseball, football, hockey. Love it all. What do you do when your team is winning? Right? Your team just won the game. So what do you do? You, you run out of I literally had a neighbor who took his shirt off, started running down the street, right, during college football. Was so pumped that Georgia won, you know, woo, shirt off, running down the street, banging pots and pants, right? 
And what is it that we yell? We yell things like, we won. My team won. Even though you've never been in a locker room, you've never drafted a play, you've never run a play, you've never had a single conversation, but somehow it's your team, and that victory is collectively yours. Why? Because we find significance in attaching ourselves to other things that have significance. Every single person knows a name dropper. I've been a name dropper. All of us have, right? Where you say something, you include a little bit of information in there, a person that you were around, a thing that you did, because by attaching and associating yourself with it and to it, it brings greater significance to your life. That's how we feel. Is it true? No. But it points to this undercurrent in our life of wanting to desperately matter. And so I have the ladder up here because this is what we do. This is what we call the ladder to matter. You like that? I'm here all day. And so significance looks a lot like this. My life will really start once I'm making this amount of money. If I can just get another rung up the ladder, well, then I will arrive, and then I'll be happy, and then I can have the car that I need, the house that I need, and I can look around, and I won't be insecure about who I am. I will matter. I'll have significance, and it will, it, I'll feel better about myself. If I'm just making a little bit more money. My friends that are all my age seem to be making more money than me. Clearly, I need, to, I need to check something, get up another rung on the ladder, and then things will really click in the gear. Then I'll matter, and it'll be significant. You know what I need more than anything is a relationship? If I was just married, my life would start and begin. Now, I'm going to say this to you. Because I'm not suggesting that marriage isn't amazing or important or that you shouldn't pray about it. But I want to be careful how I say it. I've wrestled with this. I've wrestled with it all morning. Because having children is important. Not just important faith-wise, but it's important to us. So I don't ever want to have this conversation about marriage or about children and it come across as insensitive. But I also want you to know that your life doesn't begin to matter or have significance because you're married or because you have children. Because the, the, the opposite of that is not true either. It's not somehow that your life didn't matter down here when you weren't married or when you didn't have children. Does that make sense what I'm saying this morning? You've got to catch this because so much of what we talk about and so much of our culture embraces this idea that suddenly or some, somehow you have to have those two things working for your life to really be on the track to success. 
And I don't believe that scriptures teach us that. Even though I recognize that it's important. And I recognize that it's important to you. What are some of the other things, though, ladies and gentlemen? If I just, if I just were to lose all that weight, well, then there'd be some significance. Then, it would, then I would matter. People would look at me a little bit differently. And then things would really click into gear. I've got to get looking like Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I wouldn't mind actually looking like that. <laughs> true, true story. Goals right there, okay? But does my life have less significance because I'm not somehow a bodybuilder? No. But these, do you understand? This is what we do. I'm still living in an apartment. I mean... Until I have a house that I own, it's like there's just something missing. And so up the ladder we go, right? And we just keep on going. Does this bother you? Are you bothered by this? Okay. I'm seeing some of you just, you're just, so not only am I going all the way up, I'm going to do a handstand on the top of the ladder. If you've seen The Greatest Showman, they got nothing on me. Okay. It's about to go down. You understand the concept. We have this idea that the ladder to matter. That all of us have. And we create these rungs. And if we just got to the next rung, if we would just get a little bit higher and a little bit further up, well, then life would really take off. Then our life would have the significance that we dream about it having. And I want you to know that's not God's best for you. That isn't how he teaches you or I to live at all. Your life has significance and it has significance and it matters. And it matters right now. I'm going to read this for us and then we're going to pray. And we're going to jump into the text a little bit. The writer of Psalms here, David, he writes in Psalm 34, 4 through 5. He says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all of my fears. Every single one. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. We're going to get going in this text, and it's not going to take us long to, to draw out the idea, the, the big idea this morning. But I want you to know, some of you have been plagued and racked and dealt with the same things for a long time. And what I'm not promising is a magic bullet, and if we just pray a certain prayer at the end of service, bam, it's going to somehow be gone and gone forever. But I also want you to know this, that God is the God of the impossible, and that he is trying to move us from being fearful to being faithful. To bring our faith to him. David says that he sought the Lord. And he delivered him from all of his fears. There's nothing God cannot set you free of. 
Father, as we get into the text this morning and as we, as we pursue becoming more like you, and as we identify and know there are things that we struggle with and wrestle with, God, sometimes on a daily, if not hourly basis, Lord, we're asking that you would help us now. God, help us to see it, to know it, and God, most of all, to be free. Jesus, we thank you that your love derives out fear. And so, Lord, have your way and keep driving it out of our lives right now. Amen. Matthew 10. 28 through 31. Jesus is speaking to the 12 disciples and he says, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. rut What's he saying here? Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. track with me here for just a second. Jesus is speaking to the 12. In fact, what we know is that Jesus is sending out his 12 disciples to minister now, really for the first time. He's sending them out like sheep among the wolves. And there are some in his midst that are nervous. They're a little bit scared. Imagine Jesus, who's doing prolific ministry, now looks at you and says, it's time for you to do what I'm doing. And some of them are afraid literally for their very life. What's going to happen to me? Am I going to die? I don't, know what, I don't know what's going on around here, Jesus. And Jesus says to them, hey, stop fearing men for a second. If you're going to fear somebody, fear the one who has the capacity to send you to hell. If you're going to fear somebody, fear that guy, okay? But that's not where Jesus leaves it. Because this message isn't really about heaven or hell, and it's not about actually the fear of dying, because there, there was, there's a, an underlying fear here. Yes, the fear of death, but what Jesus unpacks is this idea of self-worth that the disciples are struggling with in light of their heavenly Father. What does Jesus say? He says that two sparrows cost one copper coin. Have you ever had a penny? Confession. Have you ever thrown out a penny before? You're like, okay, this thing is a pain in the rear end. I'm tired of carrying it around. It's sitting on the dresser. Some of the husbands are like, no, I've never done that. And the wives are like, yes, we have. <laughs> right? So men have an amazing capacity. I realize I'm stereotyping right now. Men, there is something about guys. They love to just empty their pockets on top of tables, countertops, side tables. They, we just, we, it just everywhere. And sometimes there will be pennies there. And a penny can buy you nothing. I mean, it used to, that, that wasn't always the case. But a penny can buy you virtually nothing. It's almost a worthless amount of money now. So, has anybody, you know, ever thrown a penny away? I realize that's probably a felony. 
But has it happened? Maybe it has, right? Because this denomination of money is used for almost nothing. Jesus is giving these gentlemen, the the 12 disciples, an understanding of worth here. Are not two sparrows sold for the cost of one copper coin? That means the smallest amount of money that you could muster would still buy you two sparrows. That tells you that a sparrow I mean, is the jankiest, poorest, I mean, just, it is worth absolutely nothing. Why? Because you could buy two for one coin. Luke tells us that you could buy, for two copper coins, you could buy five. Meaning, bargain barn right? One will buy you two, but if you got two, we'll throw in an extra one for free, right? We're going to throw in, it's going to make them five, five sparrows for the cost of two copper coins. This is what Jesus is talking to his disciples about. They're afraid of whether or not God is going to care for them. They're afraid of whether or not their life matters to God, whether or not God sees the details of their life. Is my life significant? Does it matter? And Jesus looks at them and he says, aren't two sparrows sold for the cost of one single coin? This worthless bird. Yet not one of them falls to the ground outside of your father's care. There are a lot of times as a pastor where I wrestle with this. I don't know anybody, it's not a free pass, but I, I don't know anybody that that's, stands in front of people or speaks or is leading a business or d- doesn't have the mirror check, right? Where you just... Like, God, is this, is what I'm doing, is who I am, is my marriage, is my business, is my this? God, it feels like you don't care. It feels like what I'm doing doesn't really matter. That may not be true. In fact, we know that it's not true. But it can feel this way. And Jesus is helping the disciples understand their value before God. And this may sound dull because we're talking numbers and economics and sparrows, but just understand that the most useless, worthless, worthless bird, and two of them are sold for one coin, and yet there isn't one of them that doesn't fall to the earth outside of God knowing the intimate details of its life. And if he knows the details of a useless, worthless bird, how much more does he know and care about the details of his most treasured possession, which is you and which is me? Read the text one more time. 
Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Do you know how many hairs are on your head? Not many, somebody said. I need a haircut, okay? Now I'm gonna rub, it sounds like I'm rubbing in some of y'all's faces. I'm sorry about that. I need a haircut. My hair is bushy. You know, it's, 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 it's coming out here and here. And when I put on a hat, I have to like increase the size of the hat now because my hair is getting too big on top, all right? I apologize for you on that, to you. But you know what I don't have any record of? is the amount of hairs that are on my head. Never once have I thought, I'm going to bag and tag these. <laughs> One, two, three, never. Yet we're a people that, we count everything, do we not? We count Americans in particular. I mean, if you look at your planner, planners aren't broken up by days anymore. They're literally broken up by minutes of your day. It's not, it's not like the portion of your day. How do you want to manage it? 9.15? 9.30, 9.45, Literally, it's broken up so that you can manage and count and cal- account for every minute of how you use your day. We count calories. We count pounds. We count everything. You can put a little app on your iPad or your phone so you know how much time you're spending on a given app, on a browser. We calculate how much time we're spending at work. We are our punch card, even though nobody really has a punch card anymore. But if you were to punch a card, it measures the time that you're spent at the office and that you're working. We count everything, but we don't count the hairs on our head. Why? Because that's insane. That's ridiculous. Why would we do something like that that has such inconsequential value? Yet the Bible teaches us that Jesus, that God himself, has every hair on your head, named and numbered. Which tells us that the details of your life, big and small, they matter to God. Your life matters It may not always feel like it in the different environments and the different places where your feet tread, but I want you to know, if anything else, what you've got to get just anchored down in the soul of who you are. Otherwise, you'll continue trying to climb this thing day in, week out, month out, year out. You've got to know deep down that where your value comes from is God Almighty. And the reason you have value to him is purely simple. He made you. The creator of heaven and earth dreamt of you. You're who he wanted walking on this planet. And he knows how many hairs are on your head. He understands and knows the details of your life. 
And you don't ever need to be worried about whether or not your life is significant or it matters or if you're somehow, if you're making enough money or somehow if, if you're in the right career or somehow X, Y, Z. You matter because God says you matter. End of story. There's a Chinese orphanage in the Henan province. It's an orphanage for deaf children. And if you know much about China and the one uh, child policy, one of the things that it produced uh, was a generation of children who, if they had any sort of flaw or or uh, defect, or wasn't, weren't the sex necessarily that they wanted or desired, well, people were predisposed to getting rid of their children. So there are scores and scores still of orphanages in China. And this particular orphanage in the Henan province was for deaf children. And the reason the majority of these children had been given away is because they were deaf. And there were some missionaries who, who came to serve at this particular uh, orphanage. And they brought this book with them. And the book was called You Are Special. It was translated in Mandarin so that they could read it. But they also, you know, they had translators there. And, you know, they weren't, it was a children's book. It's written by Max Licato. You can order it on Amazon right now from your phone if you really want to. And so they have this book and they're speaking and there's sign language happening and the the book is about a a village with wooden boys and girls and Punchinello is the name of this wooden child. And in this community of wooden children and wooden people, you were awarded stars for how well you performed at life, or you, were ha- you had dots that were put on you if you were an underperformer. And so Punchinello had so many dots on him, you could hardly see the wooden boy underneath. And the, these missionaries read this story about Punchinello. Punchinello has this opportunity to finally meet his maker. And his maker's name is Eli. And he looks at Punchinello in the book and he says, I made you. And I do not make mistakes. And this little wooden boy who finally believed the words of his maker all the dots begin to fall off of his body. And as the missionaries are reading the story, the room is as quiet as can be and a children for the deaf. And they look up from their book, and I quote, the most bizarre thing happened. 
at a certain point, everyone started crying. I couldn't understand this reaction. Americans are somewhat used to the idea of positive reinforcement. Not so in this province. And particularly not for these children who are virtually abandoned and considered valueless by their natural parents because they were born broken. When the idea came through in the reading that they are special simply because they were made by a loving creator, everyone, including the teachers, started to cry. Love that story. We wrestle with whether our life is important, whether it matters, and whether it's significant. And sometimes the thing that we need to be reminded of, it isn't a tip, it isn't a trick, it isn't a tool for overcoming fear. It is being reminded of the simple fact that you have a creator in heaven and earth who made you, and he does not make mistakes. And if you ever need to wonder, or if you're ever curious about where you rate in the eyes of God, all you need to do is open the Bible. And all you need to do is read the pages of this tremendously long love story about God and his creation and the great lengths that he has gone to and continues to go to to have relationship with you and with me. Psalm 139.14 says that I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Do you know that this morning? That you have been made fearfully and wonderfully by a heavenly creator. God the Father. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. If you enjoy painting, if you enjoy looking at painting, paintings, if you appreciate art of any kind, you need to understand that when God looks at you the same way an artist covets what they have made they don't want to let go of it this is my original I'm not just going to part with this I love when you read the biography of, of Michelangelo there were pieces, they're in museums now but there were pieces that he painted that he could never let go of they traveled with him everywhere he went because they were his most prized possessions God looks at you and calls you his masterpiece. God, I, I just, I'm wondering if you're going to care for me, if you know what's going on in my life. I'm praying and I, I'm not hearing anything and I'm experiencing some difficulty. And God, where are you? And, and do you care? Oh, yes. Oh, don't you know? 
you are my great masterpiece. I'm not finished here. Let me just take my paintbrush. You, you may not see all the things that are being worked out and putting on and putting on to the canvas right now, but you, son, you, daughter, are my great, great masterpiece. Don't forget it. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than all of these other things. For I'm convinced, Romans 8, that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Do I matter to God? Do I have significance on this planet? Oh yes, you do. In fact, I've gone, God says, to such great lengths to make sure that nothing can come between you and me. But you have to believe in what the Father is saying. And I'll remind you with this that in economics and in business, you, you understand worth and value by what someone is willing to pay for a particular thing, a service, an item, a project that's trying to get completed at your house. What we're willing to pay shows the value that we have towards something. And sometimes we forget 1 Corinthians 6.20 that God bought you with a high price, the Bible says. And that price was the life of his son Jesus who died for you and who died for me. That we might have relationship, access to eternal life through his son Jesus. Do I matter to God? All I have to do is fix my eyes on the cross. And I know my life matters to God. So much so that he sent his son. That's how much it was worth it to him. Stand to your feet, church. Sometimes you need to be reminded of who you are, who you belong to, who cares for you. One of my favorite movies, I've used this analogy many times, it's a movie called Hook. It's Robin Williams, he's Peter Pan. But he's Peter Pan and Peter Pan's grown up and he's forgotten who he is. And all of a sudden, you know, events transpire and, you know, he's around the lost boys, if you know the story. And he's, he's trying to remember who he is because he's going to have to fight Captain Hook. 
but he doesn't believe and he doesn't remember that he's Peter Pan. He's an older man now. And all of the sudden he's, you know, there's this amazing dinner t- table scene and he's, he's remembering slowly but surely and you can see the fear even, uh, the, the gripping of, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm having these almost flashbacks of who I used to be, but I'm not that way now. And my favorite scene is this little child. He puts his hands on the pan's face and he begins to touch his face his cheeks and his forehead and he's literally just pushing the skin back because the lost boys aren't sure if this is Peter Pan either but this one child is moving it around and he says words that have, that have lived with me forever he says there you are Peter there you are You'd forgotten who you were. You've forgotten who you'd been made to be. You're the pan. And I'm just feeling around and pushing all the layers of life away. There you are. I finally found you. And sometimes what we need to be reminded of regarding the fear of insignificance and the fear of not mattering is to be reminded who you are and who God is. You are his son and his daughter. You are his great masterpiece. You are his treasured possession. There is no God like the God that we serve. And our God chose you and made you. And your father does not make mistakes. Amen. This is one of those tender moments and I'm going to leave you here. You can receive prayer after service today. I'm going to pray for us in just a moment, but I I want us to wrestle. With the greatness of God, the greatness of our creator, and the greatness of his creation. Father, right here, right now, Lord, I thank you that perfect love drives out fear. You're the only one who loves perfectly. And God, I thank you, even right in this moment today at church, you're driving out fear. You're driving out haunting thoughts. God, you're driving out thoughts of people who've even just thought, I mean, I should have just ended my life. No one cares. My life doesn't matter. Lord, I thank you in this very moment you're driving those thoughts out and you're driving that fear out that we might experience your great love. 
Lord, I thank you that God, whatever area of life that we're in, whatever season of life that we're in, Lord, I thank you that our life matters to you, that our life has significance to you, and it is not bound up or tied up in how much money we make or what relationship we have or how big of a house we have or any possession or thing or accomplishment. Our value has been set, and it has been set by a good and gracious creator, God the Father. Help us even now, Lord, to experience who you are and your great love for us. Nothing can separate us from you, Lord. No height, no depth, no sin, no mistake, no failure, no demon. No spirit. No anything. Lord, you love us with an everlasting love. And we choose to believe the words of our Father today. I pray that it would bring us fresh life. In the name of Jesus.